Welcome to Understanding Christianity. I am your host of this podcast. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct professor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can do me a favor. If you are enjoying this podcast and you're benefiting from it, I'd love to hear from you. Many of you have emailed me uh, some questions and I've interacted on email. Uh, You can go to iTunes and give us a review and rating. I'd I'd really appreciate that. I also want to give a little bit of announcement before I uh, go into today's podcast. In a few weeks, I will be going to Together for the Gospel in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, the the convention, the, the conference that happens every two years, um, I've gone every year. Um, I went in 2006 to the very first Together for the Gospel when it was at the Galt House, when there was maybe about 2,000, maybe 1,500 of us in that ballroom. And one of the exciting things about that first T4G was I was on the, the, the second row, and I was behind... John Piper, John MacArthur, and Al Mohler, who were all sitting two seats in front of me, and R.C. Sproul was preaching. And it was amazing to see these men take notes while Dr. Sproul was preaching. And so John MacArthur was taking notes, and John Piper was taking notes, and Al Mohler. It was, it was a unique thing to see. And so I've gone to every Together for the Gospel Conference. And so here's what I'd like to do. If you are a listener, and you are going to be in Louisville at the Together for the Gospel Conference, um, I'd love to interact with you. Maybe we could catch lunch um, or, or do something. So i just love to interact with listeners that are out there, and maybe if you're at T4G, we might see each other there. What is prayer? In our church this Sunday, we are going to be starting a month-long emphasis on prayer. Uh, Let me just give you a little bit of background. Back in October of last year, our leadership, all of our growth group leaders, our elders, our deacons, everybody in leadership, we met together for a two-day retreat to evaluate some things in the life of our church, to pray, to strategize. And it became increasingly um, important to us, and it was very evident that prayer needed to be the focus for 2016. And so we as elders processed a lot of that information. And so uh, for the whole month of April, we are focusing on prayer. And so um, you'll be hearing, if you listen to the Sunday morning podcast over the next three weeks, I'll be praying, uh, preaching through the, the Lord's Prayer. But the material that I'm going to be sharing on this podcast is really the material that I wrote for our leaders who are teaching the Sunday school classes or the growth groups. And so uh, this material is what our teachers are going to be teaching over the month of really two months, um, a lot of this material. And so what I want to do in this podcast is really just, uh, since I'm not having a chance to teach this, I've written it for my teachers, I just want to kind of maybe share it with uh, the podcast audience. Tim Keller has said this. He says, Prayer is awe intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality. There's nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering than prayer. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. That's a powerful statement, and I encourage you to read his book on prayer. 
There's absolutely nothing so great as prayer. In Luke chapter 11, we find these words. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught His disciples to pray. And He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We see a few things from this passage of Scripture. Number one, the disciples needed to be taught to pray. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray, which shows us that prayer does not come easy. It's something that needs to be taught. The second thing we see is that Jesus models for us the Lord's Prayer. Now, Luke has a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. It's really more comprehensive in Matthew chapter 6, but he does give a model and a template, and I will be preaching on that on Sunday mornings. The third thing we see is that Jesus gives a parable here to show the generosity of our Heavenly Father in giving good gifts to His children when they ask in earnest, especially the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we think about prayer, what I want us to do is to ask three very important theological questions about prayer. A lot of times prayer, when we talk about prayer, it focuses on technique. It focuses more on technique. It focuses more on we just need to pray. But but there's not a lot of theology behind the issue of prayer. So here's three Big theological questions that we need to ask in relation to prayer. Here's the first question. What are the components of and a definition of prayer? What is prayer? How how does the Bible define prayer and what are its components? Second question. If God is absolutely sovereign, then why pray? Third question. Why is prayer such hard work? Let's attempt to answer these three questions, and the first one's going to take a long time. Theological question number one. What are the components of and a definition of prayer? What is prayer? How would you define prayer? What are the elements? What are the components of prayer? John Calvin 
has a really great statement. As I was doing study on this and as I was reading um, different resources, I came across this definition of prayer by John Calvin that I thought was really pretty powerful. And actually, a statement he makes in here has become kind of the title or the theme of, of our focus as a church. Here's what John Calvin defines as prayer. This is his commentary on the Psalms uh, in that. He says, Prayer is a communication between God and us, whereby we expound to Him our desires, our joys, our sighs, in a word, all the thoughts of our hearts. Prayer is the outpouring of the soul, the deepest root of piety, the bedrock of assurance. And this is a statement that really caught my attention. Prayer is the most important part of the Christian life. It is the lifeblood of every true believer. The lifeblood. And that's the title of our, of our series as a church. Prayer, the lifeblood of all true believers. Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane said this, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. Or how about Charles Spurgeon's definition? Charles Spurgeon said this, My own soul's conviction is that prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe, that it has a more omnipotent force than electricity, attraction, gravitation. If any of you should ask me for an epitome of the Christian religion, I should say it is in that one word, prayer. Prayer. The model prayer is in Matthew chapter 6. 9 through 13, and Jesus says, Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I'm not going to go into a great detail on the Lord's Prayer on this podcast because I'm going to be preaching through the Lord's Prayer on Sunday mornings and we will upload those podcasts once those, those services have been done. But as I've searched the Scriptures and thought about this and looked at the examples of prayers in the Bible, I've attempted to provide a humble definition. Of prayer. Now, anytime somebody gives a definition of something as big as prayer, there's always going to be somebody that comes along and says, well, you could have put this in, that, that, you could have taken that out. Again, that's why I use the word humble. Here, here's my humble attempt at a, at a biblical definition of prayer. Now, it's pretty comprehensive. I'm going to read to you the definition, and then I'm going to give you the 10 components, because I think there are 10 components of this biblical definition of prayer. But let me give it to you in, in a paragraph or, or in a few sentences, what I think the biblical definition of prayer is. Here it is, a definition. Prayer is both our privilege and duty of worship, whereby we respond to God as He first speaks to us in the written Scriptures. We pray to our Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer involves pouring our hearts out to God in praise, adoration, confession, repentance, and thanksgiving. It also involves asking God for those things which are according to His will as well as praying for others. Praying should always be God-centered and not human-centered. Now that's the paragraph. Let's 
break this up and explore or examine the 10 components. There's probably more, but for the sake of this humble definition, 10 components of biblical prayer. Here's first. Prayer is both a duty and a privilege of worship. Now, why is it a duty? And don't be scared off by the word duty. We've been robbed of that word, but there is things that the Bible commands us to do, which are our Christian duty. We're commanded to do those in obedience to the Lordship of Christ. The Bible commands us to do that. The Bible commands us to pray. Ephesians 6, 18, pray at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul commands us to pray. He tells us in Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Now these are all in the imperatives in the Scriptures. They're commands that we are to do. So the Bible commands us to pray as a duty. And that in and of itself would be enough, simply because we are obeying the commands of Scripture. But not only is it a duty, but it's actually a privilege. It's a privilege of worship. It's a privilege to be able to come into the very throne room of God and to um, pray to Him, to talk to Him, to worship Him, to approach Him. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews tells us what privilege it is to enter into God's presence. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Christ is our advocate, because Christ is our great high priest, because Christ has lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again three days later and ascended up to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father as our one mediator, the writer of Hebrews says we have confidence. We have access. We can draw near. We can approach the throne of grace. We can pray directly to God as a glorious privilege. And we receive mercy and we receive grace and we receive help in time of need. So number one, prayer is both a biblical duty and a privilege of worship. That's number one. But number two, and this is one that people may not have thought a lot about, and I really think the the Tim Keller book puts this into perspective, his book on prayer, as well as some things that Martin Luther has taught on prayer. But here's number two. Prayer is a response to God as He has first spoken to us in the written Scriptures. God speaks to us first through 
the written word. And then in response to that, we speak back to him in prayer. That is why meditating on, memorizing, reading the scripture should almost always precede prayer. Listen to what Martin Luther has said. Martin Luther said, we must first hear the word and then afterward, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. He works in the hearts of whom he will and how he will, but never without the word. Never without the Word. We must hear the Word first. You see, the more you read the Scriptures, the more you grasp the Scriptures, the more you meditate upon the Scriptures, the more that you are, your worldview is being shaped by the Scriptures, the more your prayers will be biblical. You will be praying in accordance to how God has first spoken to us. Tim Keller gives some good advice. He says, without immersion in God's words, our prayers may not be merely limited and shallow, but actually untethered from reality. We may be responding not to the real God, but to what we wish God and life to be like. (laughs) That's a strong statement. If you're not immersed in the Word, you could be just your prayers could be untethered to reality. You could just be praying to a God you've made up. You could be praying requests that are not biblical. Maybe you've often heard this said, and I challenge people on this. And when we, when when they hear me say it, they they get a little confused. You've often heard it said, "Prayer is a two way conversation." Two prayers, two way conversation. I speak to God. God speaks to me. I speak to God. God speaks to me. Now we need to be very careful with that terminology. Is prayer a two-way conversation? Does God speak directly to us in prayer? Well, if you believe that the written word is how God speaks, then we'd say yes. We speak to God, but how does God speak to us? We need to make sure if we're going to use that terminology, God speaks to us through the word. Remember what Martin Luther said? He works in the hearts of whom he will and how he will, but never without the word. It's not this mystical experience where I'm speaking to God and just kind of waiting for him to speak to me with an audible voice or an impression in my heart. We speak to God as a response to how he's first spoken to us. And how has God first spoken to us? Through the written scriptures. We need to be very careful with the way we speak about prayer. Um, you need to be very leery of people who may say, and, and they may mean well, and people say this all the time, and, and, I, and, I, and I question them on it, and I press them on it, and, and a lot of times I don't get a good answer, but people say things like, well, God told me so-and-so, or God just spoke to my heart and told me. Well, how did God tell you? And how do you know it was God? How do you know, was it an audible voice? Was it a lightning bolt? Was it a, a burning bush? Was it, was it manna and quail coming down? How did God speak to you? And how do you know it was God? How do you know if it wasn't just you had indigestion or it was just your own thought? God speaks, yes, but how does He speak? Now He speaks through the written Scriptures, through His Son in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers. How did He speak? By the prophets. In many ways, through dreams and visions and all these different things in the past. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, 
whom He appointed the heir of all things to whom He created the world. Now we have the written scriptures. Now we have the closed canon. That's how God speaks. So we need to remember that prayer is informed by Scripture. And the more you're immersed in Scripture, the more that you're tethered to Scripture, the more that you're ingesting Scripture, the more that you're meditating on Scripture, the more powerful, effective, and strategic you're praying. And the more biblical and theological you're praying. So that's number two. Number three, prayer is thoroughly Trinitarian in nature. We pray to the Heavenly Father. We pray in the name of Jesus the Son. And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul models this for us in one of the recorded prayers. Um, one of the, we, there's, there's a lot of recorded prayers in the Scripture where we actually hear the people praying in the Bible, and it's very important to see how they pray and what they pray for. And in Ephesians chapter 3, 14-21, Paul provides for us a Trinitarian prayer. I want to show that to you. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Who's he praying to? Who's he bowing his knees? He's praying to the Father. This relates to what Jesus tells us to pray our Father in heaven. Now, how does Paul go on? Verse 15. From whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Strengthen in the power of the Spirit. Oftentimes when we pray, we're, we're weak, we're, we're helpless, we don't know what to pray. We need to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our praying is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see the Father in this prayer. You see the Holy Spirit in this prayer. You see Jesus the Son in this prayer. And I don't want to get mechanical and say that you have to address, every time you pray, you have to address all three members of the Trinity. But it's helpful to theologically remember that our prayers need to be Trinitarian. We pray to the Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily mean that every prayer has to end in Jesus' name. Amen. It just means that we're coming to the Father on the merits of Christ. We can't enter the Father's presence without the merits and work of Christ on our behalf. And so when we come in the name of Christ, when we come in the work of Christ, we're coming because we have Christ as our Savior, as our Advocate. He gets us access to the Father. We, we have access to our good Heavenly Father. And when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit sends up groans that are inexpressible. He, he, he helps us in our praying he strengthens us so we just need to remember that prayer is thoroughly trinitarian so number one it's a duty and a privilege of worship number two it is informed by scripture god speaks to us first in the written word and then we respond back number three it's trinitarian in nature but number four this is where a lot of people think prayer you know just, they just define it simply as this but but it's an important part prayer involves pouring our hearts out before god you come messy to God. You don't necessarily worry about getting your words right. You, you come to God as you are. You, you come broken. You come helpless. You, you pour your heart out to God. 
You dump on God. Listen to Psalm 73, 25-26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I mean, do you come to God desperate? You go look at the Psalms and look at all the words they use for how they approach God. Um, I long for you. I seek you. I pant after you. My soul clings to you. All these, these words of desperation where the psalmist were pouring their hearts out to God. And that's what prayer is. It's, it's pouring our hearts out to God. It's, it's coming messy before God. It's coming honest before God. It's coming broken before God and just pouring our hearts out to Him. Number five, prayer involves praise and adoration which means that we worship God for all that He is, who He is in His character. Praise and, and worship and adoration. Psalm 95, Well, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His Hand, worship, adoration, spending time praising God for who He is, uh, talking about His character, extolling Him, worshiping Him, telling of His mighty deeds, telling of of who He is as a great King, uh, coming to Him and bowing down and worshiping Him and honoring Him and praising Him and glorify Him. That's what we do in prayer. Number six, prayer also involves confession. And repentance, admitting our sins, acknowledging our failures. Um, in Ezra 9, 6, there's a prayer that Ezra prays and he says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Graphic language there. Our sins have piled up. We're, we're buried in our sins. Our sins keep piling up and we're, we're under this major guilt of sin. And so in prayer, we come and we confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you may wonder, well, why do we even need to ask for forgiveness? Weren't all of our sins paid for on the cross? I mean, weren't our sins past, present, and future paid for on the cross? Why then do I need to come and confess my sin in prayer to Jesus? Aren't aren't those already a done deal? Why is repentance and confession so important? Let me tell you what confession is. In the Greek language, the word confess means to say the same thing. In other words, it means to agree with God that what you've done is sinful. When you come in confession and repentance to God, you're basically coming honest before God and you're agreeing with God that you've broken His law. You're agreeing with God that you've grieved His Holy Spirit. You're agreeing with God that you have offended Him and His Son and you're asking, you're acknowledging that and you're coming open with that and you're not hiding that and you're keeping short accounts with God and you're praying for repentance and you're desiring to turn from your sin and mourn your sin. That's all part of prayer, confession, and repentance. But not only is there worship and adoration, worship is really praising God for who He is, His character, 
His nature. But number seven, prayer involves thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is a little different than worship and adoration. Thanksgiving really is praising God for all that He's done. And they're they're pretty close. Worship and adoration are more praising God for who He is. Thanksgiving is praising God for what He's done, how He's been powerful, how He's proved Himself strong, what He's done in the past. If you look at Psalm 103, it's, it's a long psalm where it just goes on praising God for all the works that He's done. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He goes on and on to recount all the ways that God has been gracious and good and powerful. And so are you thanking God for the blessings that He's bestowed upon you? Are you, are you a stingy little child that's ungrateful? And all the ways God has blessed you. Are you are you counting those blessings? Are you thanking God for those blessings? Are you are you praising? Are you thanking Him for the mighty works He's done? Okay. Number eight. Prayer involves asking. Yes, asking God for things, requesting things for, from God, but according to His will. It's totally appropriate to ask God for things. Ask, so, seek, knock. It will be open to you. 1 John 5, 14-15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. John there says we have confidence. We have confidence that when we go and ask God, He's going to hear us, He's going to answer us. He's going to respond to us. But what's the caveat? What's the, what's the qualification that John gives there? It has to be according to His will. Jesus tells, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, our daily bread. We, we're, it's okay to ask. It's okay to request. It's okay to petition God as long as it's according to His will. Brian Chapel. Uh, president of uh, Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, has written a book called Praying Backwards, uh, Transform Your Prayer Life by Beginning in Jesus' Name. Um, he gives some good encouragement and differences between childish praying and mature praying. Listen to what he says. He says, children pray, Lord, give me what I want. The mature pray, Lord, conform me to what you want. Children pray for the fulfillment of their desires. The mature pray for the fulfillment of the Savior's purposes. Children pray for things they can see. The mature pray that God will be seen. Children pray, my will be done. The mature pray, thy will be done. So yes, prayer is asking. Prayer is requesting. Prayer is telling God you need things. But again, it's all in accordance with His will. Not your wants, not your selfish desires, but according to His will. Number nine, prayer also involves interceding for others, praying for others, um, being an intercessor, not just praying selfishly for yourself, but also praying for others. Praying, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.1, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he lists like kings and those in high authority. But we're to intercede and we are to supplicate God 
for the needs of others, whether that be your spouse, your family, your friends, your church, uh, other people in your life, your coworkers. We are to, to be the, the watchman on the wall where we go and we intercede. Intercede really means to go between, that we are going between the person and God on their behalf. Now, it's not in, an, in, a, in like a savior type role like Jesus or, or a mediatorial role. We're just basically interceding in the sense that we are taking the request of people to the throne of God and petitioning God on behalf of others. Here's the last aspect, number 10. And this is probably obvious, but I think it needs to be stated. Prayer must always be God-centered and not man-centered. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us give the glory. You you can know a lot about a person's theology, a lot about a person's heart and how they pray. Are they self-centered, man-centered, selfish prayers? Or are they God-centered, kingdom-oriented prayers. So let's recap our definition. We've looked at the 10 components. Let me give the sentence, the paragraph to you again. Here's the definition, the humble definition. Prayer is both our privilege and duty of worship, whereby we respond to God as he first speaks to us in the written scriptures. We pray to our heavenly father in the name of Jesus, the son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer involves pouring our hearts out to God in praise, adoration, confession, repentance, and thanksgiving. It also involves asking God for those things which are according to His will, as well as praying for others. Praying should always be God-centered and not human-centered. So that was theological question number one. What is prayer? Biblically, theologically, what are the components of prayer? Let's ask the second question. Why pray if God is sovereign. You know, there, there's people that will, you know, at our church, we, we believe strongly in the sovereignty of God, the, the meticulous sovereignty of God, the absolute sovereignty of God, that no purpose or plan can be thwarted, that, that God will infallibly accomplish all of His purpose. I mean, Psalm 33, 8-11, Let the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. God is sovereign. Isaiah fourteen twenty seven. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back? Answer nobody. Isaiah 46, 9-10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Daniel four thirty five. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We could go on and on. Verses that teach the absolute, meticulous, sovereign providence of God over the entire universe. In the sense that, as R.C. Sproul would say, there's no maverick molecule out there in the universe that's, this, that's running out of control that, that's not under God's sovereignty. And so the question then, okay, if God's sovereign, 
If God's going to accomplish his purposes, if, if nothing can stop God's plans and purposes, if, God, if it's all been meticulously preordained by God, then it must be useless to pray, wouldn't it? Why pray if, if God's got it all figured out? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Or maybe say, you know, we, we, why pray? You're not going to change God's mind. Or maybe some people do believe that praying can change God's mind. What's the purpose of prayer? Is the purpose of prayer to change God's mind or to grow in closer intimacy and fellowship and dependence with our great God? Again, let me give you some insight from John Calvin from the Institutes. He says about prayer, and by the way, just a side note, a lot of people equate John Calvin with predestination and, and, and the Calvinism. And that's, you know, obviously we can talk about the debate there. But really, if you go back and read the Institutes of the Christian Religion, the, the, the largest section he has is on prayer. John Calvin wrote a lot about prayer. Here's what he said. It's very important for us to call upon Him. First, that our hearts may be fired with a zealous and burning desire ever to seek, love, and serve Him while we become accustomed in every need to flee to Him as to our sacred anchor. What's he saying? The main reason we pray is so that we have this burning desire to seek Him and to love Him and to serve Him and so that we can flee to Him as our anchor. We go to God not to change His mind, but to worship Him and to cultivate the intimacy with Him. We call upon God, we pray to God because we desperately need Him. We don't pray to change God's mind. We don't arm twist God. We don't manipulate and control Him. We pray to seek His face in intimacy, fellowship, to show our utter dependence upon Him. Now let me give you some words from R.C. Sproul that I think are helpful. R.C. Sproul has written an article called Why Pray in a book called Let Us Pray, a Symposium of Prayer by Leading Preachers and Theologians. There's that book, I think it's out of print now, and I can't remember where I got it. If I got it at the Shepherds Conference one year or whatever, I looked for it to see if I could get it to my leaders, and I can't find it in print, but it's got articles on prayer by John MacArthur and John Piper and R.C. Sproul and all these these great men of God. But let me tell you what R.C. Sproul says. Quote, does prayer change God's mind? No. Does prayer change things? Of course, the mind of God does not change. God is not a thing. Things change, and they change according to His sovereign will, which He exercises through secondary means and secondary activities. The prayer of His people is one of the means He uses to bring things to pass in this world. The very reason we pray is because of God's sovereignty, because we believe that God has it within His power to order things according to His purpose. That's what sovereignty is all about, ordering things according to God's purpose. So then, does prayer change God's mind? No. Does prayer change things? Yes, of course. What prayer most often changes is the wickedness and the hardness of our own hearts. That alone would be reason enough to pray, even if none of the other reasons were valid or true. It's a long quote by R.C. Sproul, but he's saying, obviously we don't change God's mind. We, we can't do that. God is sovereign. 
But our prayers are a means by which God exercises his sovereignty. You may say, well, you know, um, why give money? Why give tithes and offerings if, if the budget's just going to happen the way it's going to happen? Well, the means for operating the church budget is through your giving. Why do evangelism if people are just going to get saved? God's just going to zap them anyway. No, our witnessing, our evangelism is the means by which God accomplishes His purpose. It's the same thing with prayer. Prayer is the means by which God accomplishes His purpose. But we don't change God's mind. But what does prayer do? Prayer changes us. Prayer shows us how dependent we are upon God. Prayer... um, uncovers the deep recesses of our hearts to show how we have been self-centered and how we're not praying according to His will and how we need to confess and repent. And he says that alone would be enough reason to pray. Okay? So first theological question, what are the components? What's the biblical definition of prayer? We looked at those ten things. Number two, if God's sovereign, then why pray? Obviously, God is absolutely sovereign. We, we don't pray to change His mind. We pray to show our dependence, our intimacy, our fellowship with Him. God uses our prayers as a means to accomplish His will. But here's a third theological question. It's more of a practical question. Why is prayer such hard work? I mean, prayer's hard. For you to do your daily quiet time takes energy. You have to get up. You have to stay focused. We have prayer meeting every Sunday night at our church, and it's not as well attended as I'd like for it to be attended. You know, think about this. If I had a prophecy conference where I brought some, um, you know, late, great planet Earth guy, no, some some late, great prophecy teacher to, to Sterling, Colorado to teach on the end times, we'd have our sanctuary full. Or we brought some contemporary Christian artist to come and do a concert, it would be full. Or we even brought some great speaker to come in and preach the gospel. It would be full. But we say, hey, tonight we're going to have prayer meeting. There's like crickets chirping. Because prayer is hard work. Prayer takes focus. Prayer takes energy. Again, Martin Luther, listen to what he said. He said, prayer is the hardest work of all. A labor above all labors. Since he who prays must wage a mighty warfare against the doubt and murmuring excited by the faint-heartedness and unworthiness we feel within us, there's no greater work than praying. (laughs) That's typical Martin Luther. I'm so guilty. I'm not living the way I should. I feel unworthy. I'm not living in light of of who I am as a justified person with Christ's righteousness imputed to me. And so I don't want to pray because it just reminds me of how I'm not praying and that leads me to be guilty. And so there's this tireless, endless cycle where prayer is the hardest work. I mean, the disciples dealt with it. Mark 14, 37 through 38. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes back and found them sleeping and said to Simon Peter, Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is hard work because we're still sinners. We still are in the flesh. We get tired. We get lazy. Prayer is mental effort. It requires you to engage all of your senses together, to focus your attention, to to not just ramble and use a lot of filler words. I mean, a lot of people use filler words when they pray because they really aren't praying strategically. Uh, Dear Lord, dear God, Father, bless uh, so-and-so and and just be with us today, Father God. And we really just thank you, Father God. And we just bless you, Father God. And be with with us, Father God. And and, they just, they don't know what to say. So they just mindlessly ramble filler words and Father God's and this and that. That's really not saying anything. 
And that's why as we go through the Lord's Prayer, it's a good template to, to, to mental pegs to, to, to put in your mind of, of categories to guide your praying. Listen to Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Paul's writing to the Colossian church, and most scholars believe Epaphras was probably the founding pastor. And Paul's reminding him, listen, your pastor is struggling in prayer. He's agonizing in prayer. It's hard work for your pastor to pray for you because he wants you to be mature. He wants you to grow in Christ. And so it's not just a light-hearted thing for him as pastor. He, he, he's not just going about his pastoral duties just hoping things are going to happen. He's on his knees struggling in prayer. So prayer is a struggle. Remember our very beginning? The disciples in Luke 11, 1 come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Because prayer is hard work. But it's the greatest thing. Let me just end with that quote from Tim Keller. Prayer is awe, intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality. There's nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There's absolutely nothing so great as prayer. What a great great quote to, to end this conversation on. So I hope this has been beneficial, helped you understand a little bit more about biblical praying. And so I'd encourage you to not just listen to a podcast, but actually get on your knees and pray. The way you learn to pray is to pray. And Charles Spurgeon often said, pray until you pray. And what he meant by that is you just sometimes got to pray. And you may not want to pray, but as you start praying, the Holy Spirit will give you power to keep praying. So pray until you pray. Sometimes you just have to, 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 it's a duty, you have to do it. But the Holy Spirit's there and you can approach the throne of grace to get help in your time of need. Again, I thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. Again, I'll be in Louisville, Kentucky in a few weeks at the Together for the Gospel Conference. If you're a listener and you're going to be there and you want to connect or you want to just come by and say hi, I'd love to meet you, love to interact with you, send me your emails. Uh, go to seancole.net. You can find all my contact information as far as my email, my Facebook, Twitter. Um, again, go to iTunes, give us a review and rating. Love to hear from you. I've enjoyed the interactions I've had with some of you through email on some of these deeper issues like judicial hardening and free will and predestination and Calvinism and all the different things that we talk about. And so until next time, may God bless you. May God keep you. May God make his face to shine upon you. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm Pastor John.